turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 is where we will begin today as we continue our series Countdown to Armageddon. And I've entitled this section today, And I Saw Heaven Opened. And I Saw Heaven Opened. In Revelation chapter 1, it says this. It says, Behold, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, that would be the Jewish people focused on them, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Now this is at the beginning of the book of Revelation, and the book of Revelation, the title itself, the word revelation means apocalypse, okay, is the idea. It's the unveiling, the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Revelation does, starting in chapter one, and then as it progresses through, and it really culminates that unveiling today with the message that we have today. See, folks, there is a day coming when Jesus Christ will come back literally and physically to this planet in all of his glory to set up his kingdom on this earth. It will be the most spectacular coming in the history of the world. Now, why do I say that? You're going to see as we progress through the message today. There's a day coming when all the persecution and the mocking and the cursing and the blasphemy against Jesus Christ will be defeated. There's a day coming when those who deny God even exists will see him face to face. They will have to bow their knee To him, even though their entire lives they've mocked him and made fun of him, they will bow the knee. As we will see, the world cannot stop him. Why is that? Well, because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the creator of the world. He is the almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's coming and he will execute judgment on the wicked when he comes. He will fix the injustices of the world that we live under. This is all coming. No one can stop it because it is God's plan for this world. At the end of the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period, if you don't know what that is, I'll show you in just a minute. All that is left of the nations of this world because it will be the most unprecedented time in history of war and famine and disease and killing and tragedy and natural disasters. Jesus said there will have never been a time in the past like the seven-year tribulation. No, nor ever will there be in the future like the seven-year tribulation. And we are right on the edge of that today. That's not hype. That's fact. That's fact. At the end of the tribulation, all that is left of the nations of the world will be gathered together to the place of battle and death at the valley of Megiddo. They will be gathered in their minds to annihilate the nation of Israel and also to fight each other. But in reality, folks, in reality, They are gathered to fight the Lord himself at his coming. We saw that last week. Now, I wanted to show you once again this chart, this prophecy chart or future times chart, just to very quickly show you what we are focusing on today in this. 
The Bible talks about in the Old Testament as well as the New, the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. Did you know the second coming of Christ is in the Old Testament? It's all over the Old Testament. By the way, we don't have time today. I wanted to include it in the message, but because of time, we didn't. Psalm 2 is a messianic prophecy of the tribulation and the kingdom age when Jesus would come back. Read Psalm 2 as an extra today, a sidebar, okay? You can read that when you get home. But here, the first coming of Christ, that's a matter of history. Jesus lived, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, he ascended to heaven. And then a period of time came into the picture. We call it the church age. It is a parenthesis in the eternal plan of God. Now it's in the eternal plan of God, but in a sense, in linear history, it's a parenthesis. No one knew it was there. The Old Testament prophets did not know it was there. The apostles did not know it was there until it started being manifested after the day of Pentecost, okay? And that is the period we're living in today, the church age. It's approximately 2,000 years old. Don't hold me to that. God is the only one who knows the exact number of years the church age will be. The church age will end with an event we call the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is when Jesus Christ... And all those who have died during that period of time have gone home to be with the Lord. He is going to be coming back from heaven, but the only ones who will see him are believers, not the entire world. And he will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, okay? The bodies of those who have died during that period of time, those bodies will be resurrected, changed into a glorified body, and those saints are going to be coming back with Jesus. They'll be reunited with their bodies. Now, as those bodies are raised from the dead, we who are alive and remain, who are living when this event takes place, we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, and caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, it says, in the air, not on the earth, in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That event will take place right here, the rapture of the church, and after the rapture of the church begins a period for those who are left on the planet called the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, I can't explain it all. Listen to the past messages on this, okay? We covered it all. But that's this period of time. At the end of that period of time will be the second coming of Christ back to earth bodily, physically, all the way. He'll touch down, as we'll see today, on the Mount of Olives. There will be a judgment and he will rule and reign on the planet bodily, physically, out of Jerusalem for 1,000 years. By the way, we will be covering that period next week. So here is what we're talking about today, the second coming of Christ to the earth after the seven-year tribulation period. And so that's how this all fits together. Everybody's got it, right? No problem. No one's confused. Everybody perfectly sees it clearly, correct? Anyways, let's move on. Go with me to Revelation chapter 19. So let's talk about that event. Now we've spent quite a few weeks on the tribulation period, that seven-year period of time, and we've seen the judgments of God poured out on the earth. You know, I, I just have to confess to you, there is a part of me, I probably shouldn't say this, but now that I'm in this deep, I might as well trudge through it. 
there is a part of me that takes joy in the fact that a day of reckoning and judgment is coming. I don't take joy in the fact that those who come to this point without having trusted Christ the Savior and who don't put their faith in Jesus Christ the Savior when they see him, I don't have joy in that, that they will be lost forever in hell. It sorrows me that that is true. But I do have joy in the fact that all those who have smugly, wickedly, perversely, from a core of evil, have mocked and ridiculed and made fun of the Lord and persecuted his people. I join the fact that justice is coming one day. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because if there was something wrong with that, the Bible says we should love righteousness, right? Love righteousness and justice or judgment as long as it's balanced with a love for people and wanting to reach them for Christ. Now, in Revelation chapter 19, we've talked about all this time about the tribulation and everything that's going on, and then it comes to verse 11, and it says, and I saw heaven opened. Imagine that. The sky literally is going to open up. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. In righteousness, he doth judge and make war. The first thing we want to cover this morning is the fact of his victory. This speaks of Jesus Christ coming, and he will be the victor. And you notice in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. Now, it's really not even a battle, because this is Almighty God. It's been prophesied in the Old Testament this was going to take place. And by the way, folks, he wins. Obviously, God is more powerful than anyone else. So we see the fact of his victory. Here's the truth of it. He cannot be stopped. Even the armies of the world cannot stop him from being the victor. We who are believers will see this from the air. Remember, we're in heaven at this point coming back with him. We're going to see this from the air descending with the Lord from heaven. I don't know if any of you have ever taken nighttime flights before on an airliner. And you'll be in the clouds and, you know, you you can look out the window and all you see is black. That's all you see is black out there. Maybe the flashing of, of some of the lights on the plane, on the wings and so forth. You'll see that. And you're there and you're descending and you know you're descending. And so you're going through the clouds. You know you're descending. You're going through the clouds. And all of a sudden you look out your window and all of a sudden the clouds are gone and you see the lights of the city. You know what I'm talking about? And have you experienced that before? Okay. That's what came to my mind when I looked at this. Now I'm not saying it's going to take place at night. Listen, we are going to be in heaven waiting the time for Jesus to come at this second coming back to earth to Armageddon. And I don't know what's going to be said. And I don't know if he's going to say, here we go. Okay. Maybe that's where the term hold on to your horses came from. I don't know. But anyways, here, here we go. And the sky is going to open up from heaven. And we're going to be coming back and descending literally to the earth behind him. And the people who are on the earth are going to be seeing this take place. They might say, how are all the people in the world going to see this take place? All right. 
Now, I know we've kind of defaulted in modern times to say, well, you know, we've got satellites and all this kind of stuff and we can watch it on TV. No, this is a supernatural event. It says all the world will see him. I think it's supernatural. I think they will see him because God wants them to see him. You don't need TV for this to take place. The world will see it as recorded in Matthew chapter 24. Hold your place in Revelation 19. We'll be back. Same concept covered in Matthew chapter 24, verse 27 is where we'll pick up. Matthew 24, verse 27. You could possibly be here today and be a skeptic. Maybe you're a skeptic because you've been raised in religion and you've seen the hypocrisy of religion. Friend, the one we are talking about, we're not talking about religion today. We are talking about true Christianity. It is based on a person, the one who is faithful and true, who has no flaws, who always tells the truth, who lives the truth, who is the truth. That is Jesus Christ. People are flawed. That's not where your faith should be. It should be in him, not in people. Matthew 24, verse 27, for his lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now just think about that for a minute. You know it. Get the picture. You've seen lightning before that lights up everything around you. This is the way it's going to be when heaven opens and people see Jesus. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. More about that in a few minutes. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, that seven years, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He is coming to judge and to make war. Did you catch that? He's coming to judge and to make war. Let that sink in. You need to be on the right side of this. Back to Revelation 19. Again, verse 11, I saw heaven open, behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. Now, when you see flame of fire or fire, okay, in scripture, it's almost always dealing with judgment, judgment. He is coming to judge and to make war and his eyes are lit up. Verse 13, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Who is this one? He is the word of God. Now in verse 13, the blood is not his blood. People think, well, this is the blood, you know, when he died on the cross. No, that's not in the context. This blood has to do with what he is about to do to the armies of the world at Armageddon, as we have already seen in chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. His name is called the word of God. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. We know from scripture, he created all things, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is a creator. 
John 1.14 says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace, yes, and truth. Grace and truth. John 19.14, it says, and the armies which were in heaven. Now watch this. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Notice the armies follow him. Now stop and think about it. Who are these armies? There will be billions of us following him. I believe the army includes every saved person from all time. I believe heaven is going to empty. Everybody's coming with them. Now I have good reason to believe that and I'll share it with you in just a moment. But friend, who does this include? This is every believer of all time, both Old and New Testament. This also includes every aborted baby of all time. Every person who did not have the capacity to understand the gospel and put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, they are coming with them. Why? Because they have all gone to heaven. So every person who has ever gone to be with the Lord in heaven is coming back with the Lord at the second coming to earth. What a crowd that's going to be. By the way, Zechariah 14 verse 5 says, all the saints will come with him. That's where we get it. Now you notice it says they're going to be on white horses. This could be literal. I know all of you love horses. You say it has to be literal. This could be literal or it could be symbolic for those who are conquering the opposition. This is common in scripture. You might say, why do you say that? I want it to be real. Maybe it is real. I'm not saying it's not. It could be literal. It could be figurative because in chapter six, there was one coming who was riding a white horse. Do you remember who that was? It was the Antichrist. One commentator says this, the white horse is symbolic of victory. It was customary for Roman generals after a conquest to parade on white horses with their captive prisoners in the procession that followed. So this is common. This is a matter of history. Again, literal white horses, it could very well be. I don't know. I'll tell you this, if they are literal white horses, they're going to have to have a supernatural nature about them because heaven is a supernatural place. The natural does not go there. And whether real horses or not, in a very, very real sense, understand this. When Jesus comes back to fight the armies of the world, folks, we will literally simply be along for the ride. We are not the ones who are going to do the fighting. As a matter of fact, it's really not going to be much of a battle at all because the Lord single-handedly is the one who defeats all the enemies. And so back to our text here in Revelation chapter 19, we have seen, so far we have seen the fact of his victory. He will be victorious. But secondly, we see the weapon, the weapon of his victory. How is he going to defeat the entire complete armies of the world all at one time? Do you have a Bible with you today? I want you to grab your Bible. I want you to hold it up. Can you do that? Okay, now I know some of you are going to have to hold up your phone or your iPad or whatever. That's okay. Here's the point, though. This book, you can put it down now. That's a great site, by the way. Wish we had a picture of that. The weapon is inseparably linked to what you are holding 
in your hand. So the very thing that you are holding today, this Bible that you have, will be the very thing that defeats the armies of the world because the written word will be used by the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 19, 15, it says, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Now, this is a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. We know that the sword is the word of God, according to Hebrews 4.12, according to Revelation 2.12. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See, the book of Revelation is an immensely cross-referencing book to other scriptures. Some people have said that the book of Revelation, it's sort of like the grand central station of the Bible. All the trains come in at that point. And so you can find there's all these relationships in the book of Revelation with other scriptures. And that is, by the way, the best way to interpret it. So the sword, the weapon of his victory is the word of God, and he speaks it. Okay, Revelation 19, 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. I love this. King of kings, Lord of Lords, let me, let me see this. Oh, yeah, I'm glad it's up there, caps. That's how it is. King of kings, Lord of lords. King of kings, you know what that means? He is the king above all kings. He is the Lord above all lords. He is above all leaders and kings of all time. He is God Almighty in the flesh. We are on his side as believers. We are following him from heaven as he comes to finally, finally, finally make things right in the world in which we live. Where will the Lord touch down? Do you know God even gives us those kind of details in the Bible? What an amazing book. According to both the Old Testament and the New Testament, he is going to touch down on the Mount of Olives, which, by the way, is there today. Okay, this is not an imaginary book. The Bible is not a fictional book. It's a literal book. You can go to the Mount of Olives. We've been on the Mount of Olives. I want you to see this. Hold your place here in Revelation and look with me to the book of Acts. The Mount of Olives is just east of Jerusalem. You go down from the Temple Mount across the Kidron Valley and then up the Mount of Olives, unto the Mount of Olives. Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. It's referring to Jesus here and it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, angels, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven and get the picture. He leaves from the Mount of Olives and they are there and they're looking up to heaven. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, just like he left, that's the way he's gonna come back. Now, this is not the rapture. Remember, this isn't the rapture. This is at the end of the tribulation period. Verse 12, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Now, 
I want you to see something fantastic, okay? Go with me to the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 14. This is written 500 years before Jesus ever came. Zechariah is talking about the second coming of Jesus, who at that point hadn't even come the first time yet. And he's saying, this is how the Messiah is going to come back at the second coming. Zechariah 14.3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. Sound familiar? As when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst, it'll split open in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove towards the north, and half of it towards the south." Years ago, somebody said, well, I can see, you know, people got this idea like we have to help out God. We don't have to help out God, okay? Well, I can see how this could take place because, you know, archaeologists have said, you know, there's a, there's a split underneath there. And, and so, so what are you saying? Are you saying if there wasn't the split there, Jesus would have to find another location? And he doesn't need the help to make it split. Remember, he's leveled everything by this point. No, no. It's simply going to happen. His power, his might, his almighty power, he is going to come, he's going to touch down, and it's going to split from east to west. And we know from Scripture, he will come down when he gets done at Armageddon. He will come down, he will go into, or maybe he'll do it right then, onto the Temple Mount. But here, you're in Zechariah, go back a couple pages to chapter 12. Because what is going to happen when he comes down? Here's another, remember, this is 500 years before Jesus came. Zechariah 12, verse 9, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. There you go. That's what the campaign of Armageddon has to do with. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. Stop right there for a minute. Remember what I said. Jesus had not even come the first time when this was written. He had not lived. He had not died on the cross by crucifixion. And it says, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hayden Rimmon in the valley of Megiddo, or Megiddo. Some of these places have a different names depending on, on the context, what it's talking about. Here's the point though, folks. This is gonna happen. Jesus is coming. And it was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus ever came the first time what would happen when he would come the second time. What an amazing book we have. These things are true. Back to Revelation 19. And it says in Revelation 19, verse 17, and I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls, 
the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and of the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great, okay? Famous, not famous. It doesn't matter who they are. Come together. Birds, I want you to come together because there is going to be the greatest slaughter of all time taking place. This is another reference to the Feast of the Fowls, by the way, in Matthew 24, 28, which we've already seen. And so this battle is going to take place. He is going to come, and now we see the results of his victory. And here's the truth of it, folks. All opposers of Jesus Christ will be defeated by his word. He will speak it. Do you understand that? He's not coming and he's not going to say to everybody, pull out your swords and let's just do hand-to-hand combat. No, that's not what happens. He speaks it. They will be defeated by the word of God. He will speak. And I believe this, and I, don't, I choose my words carefully. He will speak and they will be ripped apart by his word. Okay? I wonder what he will say. Be gone, die, you're finished, it's over, I told you I was coming. I don't know, but I do know this, he's going to say something and they will be ripped apart. How do I know they'll be ripped apart? Because the Bible says the blood spatters up to the top of the horse's bridles or to the horse's bridles. Okay, that high, blood is splattering up, ripped apart. Verse 19, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Now understand this. They come to Israel. Remember, they were drawn by demons. Do you remember that? They've all come from all over the world. They've been drawn by demons and they'll obey the demons. The lost world would not obey God, but they would obey the demons. So God says, I'll use you demons to bring them to Armageddon. And so here they are, and they're there for battle to annihilate the nation of Israel, and, and I would believe most likely to fight against each other because people in this kind of battle, you know, what do they want to do? They want to win. There's no unity in the world at this point. Things have fallen apart. And so here they are to fight and to exterminate the Jews again, try to exterminate the Jews, and to fight against each other And here they are with all their weaponry and their smarts and all of this kind of stuff. And the sky opens up in brightness, blinding brightness like lightning. And descending out of the sky is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and billions upon billions behind him. And he comes and I would imagine they turn their guns or whatever they have towards him. And maybe he says, be gone. You're dead and just wiped out just like that. It's going to happen. And look what it says. Verse 20, and the beast who is the Antichrist was taken and with him the false prophet who's his sidekick, his promoter, that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that had worshiped his image. 
these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, okay? God wipes out the armies of the world and he handpicks maybe one in each hand, I don't know. The beast and the false prophet. And he says, boys, you're coming with me. And he takes them and he casts them alive into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the final hell. They're the first residents. In 2 Thessalonians 2.8, it says this, and then shall that wicked, the Antichrist, be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Think about it. These two most powerful unbelievers in the history of the world will be absolutely powerless in the face of Almighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, the remnant, the unbelievers, the leftover unbelievers, which sword proceeds out of his mouth, and all the fowls, all the birds were filled with their flesh. Total carnage, total carnage. The followers and all the other lost will be cast into hell or Hades. Hell or Hades is the present hell today where people without Christ, they go. It is a place of suffering. It is a place of torment and fire. Okay, it is not the final hell. The final hell is called the lake of fire. More about that next week. So what have we seen so far in way of review? Well, we've seen the fact of his victory cannot be stopped. It's going to happen. We see the weapon of his victory, the word of God, the very thing you have in your hand. It's going to go forever, by the way. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The weapon of his victory is the scriptures. We've seen the results of his victory. All the armies of the world, all unbelievers, all at one time will be defeated. And lastly, we see the challenge of his victory. What is the challenge of his victory? I'll tell you what it is, friend. This may be your case here today here at Northland. Those of you watching over internet or listening through whatever, we're on different platforms, however you're hearing this, here it is. It always comes down to this. This is our heartbeat. This is what's most important. I haven't covered these hard things and said these hard things today for any kind of meanness. I'm trying to let the word of God speak the way it is. Because friend, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you are in an extremely dangerous place. Extremely dangerous. If you die without Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have no second chances. You'll suffer forever. God does not want that for you. Here's the thing. People say, oh, see that? Hellfire and brimstone, they just want people. No, 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 friend. You're missing it. I say that to warn you, and now I want to share with you how simple it is and how easy it is and all that God has done for you so you don't go there. God loves you. He doesn't want you to go there. But sin cannot live with him in heaven. It has to be gone. So what is the challenge? Here's the challenge. It is to acknowledge who Jesus is, God in the flesh, and to trust in him as your personal savior. If you don't, you will be separated from God forever. God loves you. He doesn't want that for you. 
He doesn't want that for anybody. See, here's the truth as we've seen. Jesus Christ will one day rule and reign on this planet. And the Bible says of his kingdom, there will be no end. He will never be overthrown. You can't overthrow God. And there is not one thing any unbeliever can do about the fact that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign on this planet. As we've already covered, every single knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to happen. Yeah, we have people today. Well, I just don't believe that. Friend, please get over yourself. I've shared with you the truth. I've shared with you remarkable facts of the prophetic word of God. This is true. You are accountable. If I sound urgent, it's because I am. These things are going to unfold very soon. Turn with me to John chapter three. Here's the truth of it. You see the seven year tribulation period, it is a preview of hell itself. And God does not want anybody to spend eternity in hell. He doesn't want anybody to spend a minute, a second in hell. In John chapter three and verse 16, it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, you put your trust, your faith in him, that whosoever believeth in him, look what it says, should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is behind those words? What does it mean? What is he talking about? What's the context of the conversation? Let me explain it to you, okay? I'll give you an illustration that helped me understand it. This hand representing you and me, Watch carefully. We're going to let this wallet represent all the things we do wrong. God calls them sin. We're all sinners. That's nothing new. I think we'd all agree with that. The world in which we live today, it's a disaster. It is falling apart. It's unraveling at the seams. And you know why? It's because of sin. It's because of sin. God loves us. He hates our sin. And we all sin against God. You see, sin separates us from God. You cannot get to heaven. You cannot live with God forever with even one sin. And we've all done it. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Heaven's a perfect place. You have to be sinless to get there. Now, you're probably understanding this at this point. Well, if that's true, that's not good news for me. You're right, it's not. The bad news, which is what we're covering, is what makes the good news so good. Watch the bad news. Let's continue. God says our sin has to be punished. God is a God of righteousness. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is a righteous God. He's a holy God. God says if we don't have a payment for our sin, we will have to die and spend forever separated from God in hell. That is not his desire for any one of us. Yet the scripture says good works because that's what most people fall back on. Well, I'll try, I'll, okay, okay, okay. I'll try to be good. You know, in the old days, what I've just covered would scare people and they would say, I'm in trouble, I need a savior. Nowadays, we have so far degenerated in our society that people say, I can't believe in a God who does that. See the arrogance, how arrogant we've become today? We have no fear. You need to fear. God says this, I love you, I hate your sin. Your good works cannot pay for sin. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. As a matter of fact, it says this over, look at it. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. So watch this now. We're about to get to the good news. Because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, and if we die with our sin, we'd be lost forever, lost forever, suffering. God says, I don't want that for you. I love you so much, I don't want you to end up in hell. Therefore, I will take care of it for you. And that's exactly what he did in sending Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. He came into the world, and friend, watch this. You notice he's sinless. God is sinless. God himself took our sin upon himself. He died so we don't have to. Jesus came, took our sin upon himself, made the payment, leaving us nothing to pay for. None. Was buried, came back from the dead, and he simply says this. If you will believe, if you will trust in me that I made that payment for you, the moment you trust in me, I give you everlasting life. Your sins are gone. They are forgiven. I'll give you everlasting life. I'll never lose you. I'll never cast you out. You'll go to heaven whenever you die. As a matter of fact, it's so clear down in uh, John 3, verse 36, it says this. He that believeth on the Son hath that moment. Present tense, the word hath means has. Right now. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, the wrath of God abideth on him. I urge you, friend, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you do, the payment he made is good on your behalf. All your sin is gone. It is forgiven. He gives you everlasting life. Oh, the payment has been made. But see, you can reject the payment he made. You can say, oh, no, I think I need to be good to get there. You got to be perfect. Remember, good is not enough. You got to be perfect. No sin. We're already disqualified. That's why he came. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He made the complete payment. He's saying, if you just simply trust in me that I did it for you, the payment I made is good on your behalf. I give you everlasting life. You go to heaven. Okay. Not only, by the way, will you go to heaven. See, there's double issues here. For the believer, not only do you go to heaven, but you get raptured before the seven-year tribulation begins. For the unbeliever, not only do you go through the tribulation, but then you end up being lost forever in hell. All based on will you put your faith in Jesus Christ to get you to heaven? Would you do that today? I plead with you, trust in Jesus Christ today. You don't know when you're going to die. And if you die without Christ... There are no second chances. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.